Court is now in session with your host, Peter Briggs. Welcome to the Lawyers and Lay People podcast, a conversation-based podcast featuring interviews with some of Georgia's top lawyers, where we, in an easy-to-understand way, answer the questions on the minds of you, the layperson. In this podcast, we talk to specialists in a particular field of law to hear directly from them as to what clients typically ask them and what they should be asking. I'm your host, Peter Bricks. I'm a personal injury and bankruptcy attorney, as well as a registered mediator currently practicing in Atlanta, Georgia. I graduated law school in 2006 from Georgia State University, and I've been practicing here as a lawyer for almost 17 years. Our guest today is Will Gear, who is going to explain to us the ins and outs of Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Will is a partner at Roundtree, Lightman, Klein, and Gear LLC, which is located in Atlanta, Georgia. Their website is rlkglaw.com. Will received his BBA in economics from Valdosta State University, where he graduated valedictorian of the College of Business. He received his law degree from Mercer University School of Law. Right out of law school, Will had the privilege of clerking for the Honorable John Laney III, Chief Bankruptcy Judge for the Middle District of Georgia. Will helps clients from all walks of life navigate the perils of bankruptcy court. His clients include individuals and businesses seeking relief from their overwhelming financial problems and creditors looking to protect their rights. Will files Chapter 7 and Chapter 11 cases throughout Georgia and has advised clients across the nation on bankruptcy issues. All right, Will, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Peter. Glad to be here. So uh, how long have you been doing Chapter 11 work and what, what is it you like about it? No, man. Um, let's see. I graduated uh, law school in 2009. So pretty much ever since I graduated, I clerked for a judge for about a year and a half. And then uh, I've got a lot of Chapter 11 exposure working for the judge. And then ever since then, I've been involved in some form or fashion in Chapter 11 work ever since. And uh, as far as what I like about it, I mean, it's one of the it's, a, it's an area of law where you can really help small business owners. I mean, we've reorganized hundreds of businesses and individuals over my career. I mean, saved millions upon millions of dollars, uh, saved, uh, you know, allowed businesses to keep on running, people to, you know, um, keep on feeding their families and remaining self-employed. So it's really satisfying. I mean, people really get a good tangible result at the end of it. So it so sounds like, about it. based on your experience, you're primarily doing work on the debtor side? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll do creditor work, of course. But I mean, as a primarily debtor side firm with Chapter 11, there's just not many people who do Chapter 11 debtor work. Um, the creditor side, there's a lot more people who do it. But also, if you represent, say, a big institutional lender, like a big bank, like Wells Fargo, or, you know, Tr Truist or Chase, you're conflicted out under the attorney rules from really representing a lot of debtors, because most debtors have some kind of credit card with them or something. So, we tend to stick away or stay away from that that kind of representation. Now, you know, if it's like an individual like Peter, if you loan, you know, your buddy a, a hundred grand and he filed chapter 11, like, yeah, you could call me and I could do it because, you know, Peter Bricks is not in the business of making loans, you know, to people on a regular basis. So there wouldn't be any conflict. We do that all the time. Like there's a lot of, surprisingly, a lot of individuals who loan money to people on, on just personal loans and friends and, you know, to their businesses. And so we do a lot of that work, but I'd say breakdown, I mean, 90, 98% debtor work. So uh, I know individuals and businesses can file chapter 11. Um, I've filed a lot of bankruptcies for individuals in chapter seven and 13. Um, but what is it about a uh, individual, why, why would an individual file chapter 11 versus filing a seven or 13? 
Well, boy, that that's that's a big answer. That's a lot to unpack. So let me try to start from the top. Usually, if you're filing an 11 as an individual, um, you probably have a pretty good bit of income for one thing. That's usually the reason why you would do something like that, because you might not qualify for a Chapter 7. Or you have assets that you want to protect, because in a Chapter 7, as you know, in Georgia, we don't have the best exemptions in, chap in, in Georgia to protect a debtor's assets. You know, what is it, a 20... Um, $21,500 $21, exemption for a homestead. I mean, that's nothing, right? So, I mean, in a, in a married couple, it's double that. So a lot of times we'll file a chapter 11 for an individual to protect their assets, pay things over time. You have a lot more control over the case. Um, man, you could, I could, you could write a book on that, on why you would do it. As far as a 13, Fairly similar answer. A 13 is a, as you know, Peter, is an individual um, payment plan called a wage earners reorganization, but it's more, it's a little, uh, it's more form based. There's a national plan actually that everyone uses. I think every district has a little bit. Now, I'm, I don't do 13 work anymore. I haven't in a long time, but I used to do it um, um, several years ago. I probably stopped about four or five years ago doing 13 work, but you know, 13, they did raise the debt limit recently. And so there are benefits to a 13 and in, in that it's probably easier to get a plan confirmed in a 13. That's cheaper legal fees. You just have more control in a, in a chapter 11 or is the, the new code section, a subchapter V or subchapter five, as they call it. Um, you have a lot more control in what you can do with a debtor. Um, that's just the nature of it. I mean, it's a custom plan, basically. It's almost like saying, do you want a spec home if you're building a house or do you want a custom built home? A chapter 11 is going to be more like a custom built. And then you can really tailor the plan in, in so many different ways. As far as a 13, it's a little more, um, it's a little more form driven, but that's also, I mean, the attorney's fees are five grand for a 13 and for an 11, it's a minimum of 25 down. So there's, you got to pay for that, right? So in the spirit of the, the custom home, I'd, I'd imagine with the chapter 11 initial consult with the individual filer, there's just so much of it that they really can't just pick up from Google. Uh, so your initial consults <laughs> with them, uh, how, how, how does that typically go? And, you know, what, what are the things that they just are completely unaware of in the chapter 11 process that you typically see and then bring to their attention. The fact that you can even file a chapter 11 as an individual is probably the biggest surprise. Most people just think, Oh, I thought, you know, only Delta and big companies can do that. And that's just absolutely not true. I mean, individuals actually, I did a, a little, a little audit right before we got on to see what percentage of individuals we have right now. I think it's about 25% are in, uh, that's actually high, by the way, that's historically high for us. I, it's just, it's just coincidence, but we have out of the cases we have running now, I think about a quarter of them are individual chapter 11s and they're in chapter 11 for a lot of different reasons. I can't really get into obviously for attorney client privilege, client names or anything like that, but you know, there's a lot you can do for an individual in an 11. Um, it's the only, this new chapter we were talking about, Peter, subchapter five. Um, one of the biggest benefits of that is if you have a, for instance, an SBA loan, that's like a second mortgage in your home. Let's say you have a business, you borrowed some money and the SBA made you lean up your home, right? In a seven or a 13, you can't do anything with that loan really because it's secured only by your principal residence. But in a subchapter five, you can actually cram down that loan to the value of the equity that's available. And 
to, to break that down, if you got a $500,000 home and a $300,000 first mortgage, right? So you got 200 grand of equity, very simplistic explanation, but 200 grand of extra equity. And then you have an SBA loan that's say 500 grand. Well, that 500 grand SBA loan can now be crammed down to $200,000. And then you can pay it over maybe, I don't, I don't want to give numbers, but 10 to 20 years, something along those lines. Um, we actually got a case right now where we're doing that for a guy who could have filed in a, a seven, but instead he wanted to keep his home and he wanted to work out something with the SBA. So what better way to do it than just do it all at once. And fortunately, the attorney on the other side, you know, we're, we're working together and he's representing the bank who did the SBA loan and, um, you know, case it nobody yet, so I can't really comment on it, but let's just say that it's an option for sub five, sub chapter five debtors. And, and sub chapter five, again, is just a sub chapter of chapter 11. It's a type of chapter 11 that has a lot of advantages for individuals, especially um, over a regular chapter 11. Um, do you mind if I go in real quick what that is? Because it's kind of like I'm <laughs> so. Yeah, let's um, get that, get that out of the way, because that's going to come up throughout this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a subchapter five, a regular 11, you got to get at least one class of creditors to vote for your plan. All right, well, what, what, what does that mean? So when you have a chapter 11, you have you have like your secured creditors, which would be like your 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 creditors that have um, collateral for their loan, like your house mortgage, your car note, um, or some kind of secured um, SBA loan on your house or something like that. If you're a company, you know, it could be just um, it could be a loan from the SBA that covers all the assets of your company. Um, so you can each secured creditor is going to be their own class. Generally, that's that's very, very simplistic explanation. But every class of creditor that's a secured creditor will be their own class. So that's one vote. And in a regular chapter 11, you got to get at least one person, one class to vote for your plan. And in a, a subchapter five, you actually don't need any votes. It's nice if you have them. Um, there are benefits to doing it kind of beyond the scope of this, probably on getting really granular on that, but it is, you don't need it. And so if, so what happens if you don't get any votes in a sub five is, is the biggest question. Well, you look at the individual's disposable income. It's literally a budget. What do you bring in? You bring $10,000 in a month, you spend $9,000. That means you got to pay your unsecured creditors $1,000 a month for the next three to five years. And whether it's three years or five years, that that's when negotiation and trying to convince the judge that it should be three versus five, it's it all is really at the judge's discretion at that point. Um, but that's how you determine what you pay in a sub five. So you you know you can get a plan confirmed in a lot of cases because even if you don't get the votes, you just got to show the judge, hey, this is my disposable income. Um, with businesses, it's a little trickier because the the law is what's reasonably necessary to run the business. All right. So the biggest issue then in businesses becomes what's the owner's salary? Can you run a Ferrari through the business and say it's a valid expense? No, probably not. Right. Unless you're a Ferrari dealership. <laughs> so like, you know, you, you get owners all the time who run, run their cars through the business or whatever. And that those little issues come up in sub five on, well, well, what do you really need to run this business? And that's a hard, that's a lot. That's, that's difficult. And, and frankly, most people will just settle that because they don't want to get into you know, well, what does it take to run this restaurant or what does this take to run, you know, this law firm that filed bankruptcy or a doctor's office or even a mining company or a construction company? So they focus a lot on the owner's salary because in the creditor's mind, it's like, well, you're paying yourself, you know, you got a company that has a couple million bucks a year in revenue. 
and the owner's paying himself $400,000 a year, the creditors may say, well, hey, look, he could pay himself 200 grand a year and that'd be 200 grand more per year over three years for the creditors. And you have the, you just have to look. I mean, you have to look and see what the industry supports. You know, if, if it would cost the owner 400 grand to replace himself to do the same job, then you can probably justify it. And that's usually what, that, that's how we like to do it. What would it cost the owner to replace him or herself? And if it's what salary you want to pay, then you're good. So what are um, some of the common hiccups that, that can come up in an individual debtor chapter 11 case? Uh, usually all broken down and not following our advice, <laughs> but um, not breaking the rules. Not not doing things that you're supposed to. I mean, really, like that's the biggest thing is not following your attorney's advice. There are a lot of rules, as you know, in bankruptcy, right, Peter? You like even if you're an eleven, you you can't go out and take out new credit cards and you can't do certain things. Like in eleven, you gotta go open up a new bank account. It's called the debtor in possession account. You gotta close all your old ones. We have had some issues with clients who find that opening up a new bank account's a little inconvenient and they give us a little pushback and you know it costs extra money because we've got to argue about it. So uh, my biggest advice to people is just, just listen to your attorney, just follow the rules. There's a lot of compliance issues, um, not filing your monthly operating report. So in a chapter 11, every debtor has to file what's called a monthly operating report. All it is is just how much cash is coming in, how much cash is going out, and we track that. The US trustee tracks that. And if they don't file those or provide us the information to help them file those, your case can be dismissed. So that's that's a big hiccup. I mean, having people do things in the case that we advise them not to do is probably the biggest thing that actually comes up in cases, um, truly. It's just not following directions because um, we do a lot of analysis before we file these cases to make sure that the cases we're filing can be confirmed. You know, when we give people the risk and and the benefit scenario, we do we do that kind of uh, analysis. You know, pros and cons. Uh, no case is guaranteed. I would say in a regular eleven, if you can't for some reason get a, a person into a subchapter five, because you have to be an active business. Like, I'll give you an example. If you're a W two employee and you have no other source of income you will not qualify to be a subchapter five debtor. So if you're a doctor, I'm just giving an example of someone like a common scenario, actually, if you're a doctor making 300, 350 grand a year and you're not self-employed, you work for a hospital and you have no other source of income, no rental property, no nothing, you're you're not gonna qualify for sub five. You gotta do a, a regular chapter 11 because um, you don't have any, you're not an active commercial business in any way. You also have to have, most of your debt has to be non-consumer in nature to also be a sub five, almost like a, a non-means test case, Peter, in a chapter seven. Mm -hmm. um, but in a chapter, in a sub chapter five, so your first mortgage, for instance, is actually consumer debt. So if you got like a million dollar mortgage, if you're a doctor, you got a million dollar mortgage and you got like a $500,000 SBA loan and that's all the debt you have. I'm just real simple example. Maybe you got a, I don't know, a couple hundred grand of credit card debt mixture between business or whatever. Well, that million dollar mortgage is really a problem for you. You're, you're not going to be able to file a sub five. You're going to have to file a regular chapter 11 because you don't, you're, most of your debt's not um, business or non-consumer in nature. I mean, actually don't, most people who come to us actually have mostly business debt because they're usually business owners that have personally guaranteed a, a monumental amount of like debt you know, from various types of organizations. And so just what happens, you mentioned kind of how a case could go south. If it actually does go south, um, how does that work in regards to 
whether the U.S. trustee is going to push to get that into a Chapter 7 where maybe your client really doesn't want to go because of a liquidation. Your client would, you know, maybe prefer a dismissal. Um, how, how does that work when, uh, when the case fails? Yeah, so in a Chapter 11, there's no absolute right to dismiss your case. Um, we tell all the clients this, you know, you, you file a case in a Chapter 11, just like a Chapter 7, um, it's, you don't have an absolute right to dismiss the case. You're in it. Once you're in it, you're in it. And we tell people that. You gotta, if you want to get out of a Chapter 11, it is easier to get out of a Chapter 11 than Chapter 7, to be clear, um, because there's no, you're, you're your own trustee in a way. I know that's kind of a, a real heady concept, but in a Chapter 7, you have a Chapter 7 trustee that's assigned to your case. They interview you. They're tasked with finding any assets that any, you may have and selling them, which most people don't have any assets, frankly, unless their houses have some equity in them. Um, in a chapter 11, it's kind of si it's similar, but most people in chapter 11, we file, they might have some assets and that's one of the reasons they're filing. And so you could get some creditors saying, well, whoa, 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 you, you went ahead and tried to take advantage of the bankruptcy code. Chapter 11 didn't work, but we need you in a chapter seven so we can get some of that property. And the judge, it's up to the judge to make a decision and they, and they have to base it on what's the best interest of the creditors. Actually. Um, I have found that more often than not, if there, unless there's some kind of um, misconduct by the debtor, if there's any kind of misconduct by the debtor, by the way, like the debtor has been found to be late on operating ports or not doing what they're supposed to do or taking out money from a business they're not supposed to take out. I mean, it's much more likely to get converted to a seven so a trustee can kind of investigate what happened. Okay, so that's another reason, follow the rules. Always listen to your attorney because the more problems that arise and get mentioned by the opposing party to the judge, the more likely the judge is going to say, all right, well, you know, doesn't sound like a rule follower here. We might need a trustee to look at some of these issues, you know. And so the, the biggest reason, by the way, just to, before you ask another question, biggest reason I can think of is like if a business or an individual has paid an insider, like a family member, someone like, or a business partner, a lot of money back right before the bankruptcy or anything, or taking a lot of money from the business, that's called a preference claim because you've preferred that person over other creditors. If that exists, you're, you're likely to go to a seven. Um, there's a big chance at least because the trustee can go pursue those claims. So let's transition to the cor corporate filing, which sounds like most of your chapter 11 work. Um, yeah, explain right. that subchapter V in a little more detail as far as the debt limits, as well as, um, uh, you know, it sounds like the, that's the majority of your corporate filings are those uh, subchapter Vs. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's right now there's about a seven and a half million dollar debt limit. Um, that first got put in during the pandemic. Um, to try to help small businesses. And it's gotten extended. Um, we're, we're hoping that becomes a permanent um, legislative solution. I actually haven't looked. It, it might be at this point. I, I, I can't recall, but I think it's sunsetting, actually. And they're going to look at it again, the legislature is. But right now, at least, for, for the foreseeable future, it's $7.5 million. You got to make sure your company is also not part of a group of affiliates. Like if you have like five different companies that are all affiliated that have more than seven and a half million, you also may get kicked out because you exceed the debt limit. That's not very common, by the way. So most small businesses we're talking about don't have that. Um, we have, we do have a recent filing that did not qualify because they had like a $30 million debt on a building, for instance. And that was obviously way more than seven and a half million. So they had to file a regular chapter 11. Um, a single asset real estate case 
cannot file a sub chapter five, by the way. So that's a, a case where you only have um, effectively a single piece or project of real property. And all you do is you're basically a, a landlord and you uh, and you just hold property. So those kind of cases where there's one creditor, one uh, piece of real property, um, those cannot file sub chapter five, um, even if it's a company. So it has to be an operating business that's not a single asset case, and it has to have less than seven and a half million dollars of debt. So are most of the chapter 11s you're filing for on behalf of businesses, are most of them, I assume, reorganization or, um, uh, you know, how often or is it pretty rare to, to do it for a liquidation purpose? Um, we can do, I mean, a liquidation is generally though going to be something like, I just don't want people to get the wrong idea of what a liquidation means. It's not like you're selling piecemeal your assets. Um, you know, like if you're a brewery, for instance, you know, and you brew beer, are you selling off your brewing equipment piece by piece to like collect? That, that's pretty rare. What, what your goal is, because if you were going to do that, you might just follow chapter seven and let a trustee do that. Um, or if you're a restaurant and all you have is you've stopped operating and you have just a bunch of kitchen equipment and tables and chairs in your restaurant, I mean, follow chapter seven. You don't even have to, but you can follow chapter seven to let a trustee liquidate it if they even want to. Usually a secured creditor is going to have all the all that as collateral anyways, and there's really nothing to do. But the reason why it would be a liquidation as opposed to reorganizing would be what we call, it's a code section in the bankruptcy code called 363. You can do what's called a 363 sell and you can sell all of the assets of the business as a going concern. So basically you keep the business operating and that's why you file the chapter 11. So you stay in charge and continue to operate the business because most businesses are worth more as an operating entity. I'll give you a restaurant's a good example. You know, you got, let's say you got a couple of franchised restaurants that are, I don't know, call it, it could be a Burger King, McDonald's, fast food restaurant franchise, right? And the owner wants to get out too much debt. He had to borrow a bunch of money. Maybe you got some merchant cash advance loans, which are kind of like corporate payday loans, super high interest rates. He can't, he or she can't handle it. So they come to us, we could follow reorg and we can sell those, let's say they got three franchise locations under one company umbrella, sell them all to another franchisee, and the money goes to pay off the creditors. And a lot of times the benefit to the owner is the uh, there's enough money to pay off, hopefully, all of the all the all the debt that they're personally guaranteed on. Sometimes there's enough money that they pay off all the creditors and there's money left over. Right. So instead of but they just couldn't afford the debt service in the first place. But maybe the business itself is worth so much that you could sell it pay off all your creditors and still get some money left over. That's happened plenty of times too. If the debtor, if the owner wants to keep or owners want to keep on running the business and not sell it, then it's just going to be a reorganization. And that's just evolving, coming up with a, a plan to pay back your creditors over time. Now, are there circumstances where business isn't even really behind on any of their debts, but they, they may violate chapter 11, just uh, perhaps uh, they've got a big, rent increase coming up or, or something like that. Um, does that ever happen? Yeah. I mean, immediate distress for us would be like a foreclosure sale, a big judgment's going to hit something like that. But a lot of, I mean, look, ideally we'd love companies and owners to come to us six months before the proverbial crap hits the fan, <laughs> because when people come to us too late, a lot of times they don't have any money left and they can't even pay their attorneys and you know, they don't, they have a few thousand dollars in the bank or something. And that's just not, you can't pay an attorney to do anything for that. So you really need to plan accordingly. And hopefully you have a, 
a general counsel, uh, and I don't mean like an in-house counsel, like no, most small companies have nothing like that, but maybe they have a an attorney that, you know, operates as their outside business counsel and, you know, they pay them a retainer or something, or they have someone they can call to help. Hey, what do I do? I'm, or their accountant might know. We have a lot of accountants that are referral sources because their, their, um, their clients will come to them and say, Hey, look, I, I'm a mess. I don't know what to do. I can't afford all this debt. And the accounts will say, Hey, you need to look at chapter 11 and call, you know, Roundtree Leapman, uh, Klein and Gear, and they can help you through this process. And unfortunately, a lot of people do come to us um, at the last second, um, we have a lot of what we call emergency filing. So I, I would say actually being in immediate distress is the norm for us. Um, there are some businesses though, that, you know, they see it coming way down the road and they're like, Hey, we need to reorganize this debt. I can, we, we, maybe they have a big capital. Maybe they had a lot of cash or something and they had some good years. Maybe it leaned down, but maybe their debt service is still like way too high. And they just see the money dwindle over like the course of the next year. And they know like, hey, at month seven or month eight or whatever, we, we're going to be low on money, maybe not even be able to survive unless we get rid of this debt or at least reorganize it into a better way. So that that is actually the ideal case. It's very, it's actually very rare that that happens. Um, but we'd love it if it happened more, if people would come to us, but that's tough. I mean, it is tough. It requires, because the number one, one of the number one reasons businesses fail is bad accounting in the first place. So they don't know their numbers. Most people don't know their numbers in the first place that come in. They don't know what's coming in and out, hard time keeping up with it. It's just kind of living, it's like kind of a living paycheck to paycheck thing, except for a corporation. You know, you're just kind of, the money comes in, you pay the bills and you're scrambling. And that's, and that's very common, um, unfortunately. And sometimes the chapter 11 I say sometimes, but often actually, you have to file these operating reports I mentioned earlier. And that I've had so many clients tell me, wow, well, like I get in this chapter 11 and actually I learned so much about how to create a budget, operate a business, like things that I didn't know before actually filing the chapter 11. And, and they actually wound up being way more successful afterward. They, they build a stronger company through the 11, but they also learn hey, I'm, I'm going to do a budget every month now. I want to make sure I have all my you know, ducks in a row because a lot of people just don't hire an accountant to help them with that. They just hire an accountant to say, do their taxes at the end of the year and that's it. And they provide them with some bank statements and the, they, the accountant does only what they're told to do, which is file taxes. They may not have a regular bookkeeper that's actually doing projections for them. And you know, how much am I going to make next month? Um, so yeah, it's it could be very advantageous from that standpoint too, just an education standpoint, learning how to run a business better. That's that's interesting. So in the spirit of immediate financial distress, what about the scenario where um, the business is behind on payroll? Um, so they want okay. to retain their talent. And um, how does, and, you know, I imagine you've got some employees who are nervous about their job status. I don't know how often that comes up. How, how does the Chapter 11 process allow them to keep those employees? So technically, when you file a case, most of your employees are going to be creditors of your case. Because most people, if they're, let's just give you an example of, let's say you got a bunch of W-2 employees, most people are paid bi-weekly. And that paycheck you get on that Friday of whatever that two-week period may be is really for the prior two weeks. So even if you file a case, whatever, on that Friday, people are still owed the two weeks they just worked. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? Like, so when you give that paycheck, you're not you're not paying them for the work they did that week that they received the paycheck. You know that's coming the next pay period. So you you got to we just file a motion, Peter. It's 
there's a priority amount that you can pay. It's called a priority. And, and people who work for a company are obviously, they're going to leave if they're not going to get paid. So you file a motion in what's called a first day motion. We give, we give, we give all of our clients like this, um, a piece of paper, a couple pieces of paper um, with all this, like what to expect. Um, it's kind of like a pamphlet of uh, what to expect when you file a chapter 11 that goes through all of this. There's a ton of information that they have to give us before we file the case. But in the case of payroll, we can pay up to $15,150 of uh, arrears to an employee that they're owed. If they're owed more than that, can't do it. They're going to have to wait until after the case or the owner's just going to have to work out something with them some other way personally or something. But most people, I mean, that's a big salary if you think about it every two weeks. I mean, that's that's a lot of money, $15,150 per, per person, by the way, not total per person. Um, so that's... Uh, it rarely comes up that we can't pay someone. Now, if a business just doesn't have the money to pay someone, you, you got a problem on, do you even have enough money to operate at all? And that's that's something we can't help with. I mean, we, we, we can't help you operate your business better outside of just some basic advice. Our job is to reorganize your debt, not to operate your business. You know, we're not management. We're not marketers. We can't, I always tell people like, we're, we're the legal team. We're not your COOs. We're not your CEOs. You know, you got to continue to run your business and market and sell and do whatever you need to do to bring in money. We can help reorganize your debt and fight off the creditors. So in regards to running the business, explain what this cash collateral concept is, how often okay. or essentially how the company can continue to run the business right after the filing and uh, mm -hmm. what sort of oversight is put in place? So first we got to see what, what is cash collateral. Um, this rarely comes up for individuals, by the way, because it is very rare that an individual would have that type of collateral assigned to a creditor. So cash collateral is exactly what it sounds like in the very word itself. It's it's collateral that is cash or liquid in nature. There's actually a definition in the bankruptcy code of it, but let's just say accounts receivable, um, money in bank accounts, if it's traceable to AR or inventory sales could be um, sale of inventory, like any cash coming in is effectively, and most, and most big creditors like the SBA especially, um, they're going to get a lien on all what we call cash collateral. A better example that's really easy to understand is uh, if you have a, a piece of real property and you get rental income, that rental income is cash collateral. So that's collateral of the lender. So what we have to do is, and this is why our timing is so important in these chapter 11 cases where cash collateral is an issue. And, and most, most of the time when people come to us, they do have cash collateral problems. And, and when I mean problems, I mean, they, they have their, uh, their, their AR or their inventory leaned up by a lender somehow. So we have to create and help create the, with the business a four-week budget right when we file the case. We actually do it before we file it. And then we file a motion to pay the expenses on that budget. And it, it can only be expenses that are absolutely necessary. So I've had cases where, you know, a business owner had a really high salary and the judge actually said, look, for the first couple of weeks of the case, you're not going to get paid because you're an insider, you're an owner and, you know, the creditors here objecting. That's usually only if the creditor objects for some reason. Now, I've had judges overrule that. That's actually not very common. Most of the time, it's not very common. I, I do get the business owner's salary that first couple of weeks paid. And what I mean by the salary is the, the prior arrear, like the pre-petition amount, the, the amount before the bankruptcy. Um, there's just a lot of oversight if you're the owner, right? Um, but yeah, cash collateral is a, it, it is one of the biggest fights in the very beginning of the case. Um, most lenders, we work it out. It's very rare to have what we call a contested cash collateral hearing nowadays. Um, 
most of the time you and the lender are just going to agree on a reasonable budget, but they'll, you know, a creditor's attorney, I've been on the other side, you'll look at the budget. And if there's something in there that's clearly not necessary, you're going to ask the debtor's attorney, which would be me in this case about like, hey, what's this? What's this? Use the Ferrari example. Hey, what's what's this Ferrari that this owner's running through this company? What, this isn't, I'm not, you can't use my collateral to pay for the owner's Ferrari. And I've actually had something like that come. I want a Ferrari, it's a Porsche, actually. But I've had an owner have a Porsche, it's like a $1,200 a month car payment running through a business that um, the rationale was it was a marketing expense. Um, his business had nothing to do with having a Porsche or it was just a really cool car. All right, is, all, is what it really boiled down to. So finally, the owner agreed like, yeah, yeah, all right. I'll pay it out of my salary instead. Not the it won't come off the business. It'll come from his salary, right? And so, so you mentioned. I'm sorry. Um, you mentioned earlier that the individual cases a lot of times fail because they're not quote following instructions on the business side when they when they don't work. Is it following instructions? Is it aggressive more often actually, or potentially even just the business? Um, even with the reorganization just isn't viable. A combination of all, um, a lot of our cases get confirmed for like, we confirm a lot. I'm not tooting the horn or anything, but from just, just kind of doing a mental audit, we get a lot of cases confirmed or successfully sold. Um, the ones that fail, it could be that the owner, look, we've had owners to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this business anymore during the middle of it. Because these cases can last sometimes if they're really complicated or a bigger company, they can last a couple of years, you know, I mean, or more. And I've, I've had people just say, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I just want to shut down the business. And that's obviously just the owners, that's their prerogative. They don't want to do it, right? So they just want to shut it down. But as far as like, let's just use the um, example of like, well, they want to continue operating or do something, it just fails catastrophically for some reason. That would usually be the same as an individual. They, they've done, and I'm not saying it's necessarily the owner's fault in most of these cases, by the way. I don't want it to make it seem like that, but a lot of times it, it truly is like not following directions and the trustee coming in and 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 doing something and bringing a motion to dismiss the case or convert because there's been some kind of misconduct. Um by by the debtor um, by the debtor's owners or the business itself like i had a i had a client one time who used about 50 grand to pay another one of their businesses bills out of the chapter 11 debtor's bank account and they put it back we saved we, we, we saved that we you know the judge just chastised that and said hey don't do that again you fixed it kind of no harm no foul but really don't ever do that again like that's a big no-no and the case wanted to be successful after that you know um, the sub five has really helped Peter, like, because you don't have to get votes for all your credit. It used to be like, you couldn't get votes. Like maybe you couldn't get enough votes. Maybe you couldn't get any creditors to agree on a regular chapter 11. And that's why, that's why one may fail. That didn't happen often, by the way, but when they did fail, that was, a, that was probably one of the more common reasons you just couldn't get the creditors to vote in favor of your plan, um, for whatever reason. But in a sub five context, confirmation rates, I think have gone, at least in my experience, they've gone way up because you don't need the votes of creditors necessarily to confirm a plan. You just have to have some type of disposable income. Um, but I'd say the other, the other reason they fail is what you mentioned earlier um, in your question itself, which is like, they just can't, the business just isn't doing enough. I mean, I've had restaurants that just can't get enough business. You know, they're just not, they can't pay their basic hard cost, rent, payroll, um, power, cell phone for the oh you know any that they can't pay those basic expenses then the business is going to just fail 
you mentioned you do sometimes get a approach to do creditor work, like maybe an individual lent a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars to their friend or whatever. Uh, it, I'd imagine the creditor work is now much tougher in the sub those are probably turned into sub chapter five cases. Yeah. And, um, with the way the voting's impacted, um, is it sometimes when you get consulted on that, you just have to tell the potential client, um, there's not, not a lot I can do for you. Well, there's still things you can do. So, I mean, you still want to have, you still want to be represented as a creditor. And frankly, the debtor's attorney will appreciate it because you don't want a, what's called a pro se creditor on the other side, like a bank with no attorney. Or it just becomes a nightmare to deal with that part because you kind of have to start explaining everything to them. And then you're not their attorney. So it gets all, you want them to have an attorney. But, there, but, but to your point, it's like, well, how much do these people want to pay an attorney to be involved in the case? But you want to make sure, I mean, the debtors can still really impair your rights, like especially on valuation issues. Like, again, you can cram down a loan to the value of like a house, but then you got to argue, well, what's the value of the house? The debtor could just put it at some really artificially low value. And if you don't have an attorney to argue against that, you're you're going to get crammed down too much. Um, as an unsecured creditor though, like, yeah, if it's, the, if it's just an unsecured loan, $100,000, and someone came to me and said, Hey, you know, I got a buddy that's filing an individual sub chapter five. I loaned him a hundred grand. You know, we're not really talking right now, but I, I want to get paid as much as I can do whatever you can to get this guy out of the chapter 11. Um, that's usually the message, by the way, is they want, they want the chapter 11 to be dismissed. That, that's I, I go ahead and tell people, look, that's, that's not easy. Like this is a debtor's court. It is a bankruptcy court. It's meant to try to confirm these cases. And the debtor has to do something pretty bad to get the case dismissed. Okay. And as an unsecured creditor, you're not going to have a lot of power on that. Um, The subchapter five did shift the power to the debtor a lot. And that's one reason why we love the code, um, why we love this new chapter. So before I let you go, I just want to quickly talk about how attorney's fees work in chapter 11. I think we've established sure. that chapter 11 is pretty complicated. And I know earlier yeah. you mentioned $25,000 is sort of like a typical retainer fee. Um, but, uh, you know, the case can go on for a number of years. So uh, mm-hmm. if, from a small business individual perspective, if you're looking at filing a chapter 11, what kind of fees in totality can you expect? It is very difficult to estimate that for a person I don't have sitting in front of me and knowing everything about them, but I'll, I'll give you the range is just huge, Peter. I mean, I've, I just confirmed a plan for a couple actually in the middle district of Georgia. I, I think our final bill was $18,000. It was really, and that's considered low. And that was nine months work. We got rid of a million dollar judgment against their home. They're, I mean, great result for this couple. I mean, they're going to be able to retire now. So we're super happy with it. we got a case right now that probably we're 250 grand into it. It's um, multiple location. Um, I don't want to get too much into the facts because there's an active case going on. But let's just say they sell goods at multiple locations and they have a lot of revenue, a lot of creditors, 14 different classes, a lot of litigation. Um, we're at 250000 now. And I think we got 50 or 60 as a retainer and they've just paid us along. But the case has been going on for two years now. And, and you know, the creditors haven't been able to come after them and they're going to save. I think they had four or five million dollars in debt off the top of my head that's just from memory i could be wrong about but it's something and they're not paying anywhere near that back i mean i think they're they're getting they're saving several million dollars um over the life of their plan 
So it's huge return on investment for them. But that's the, that's the problem. Like we don't know. I can't tell you how much it is for an, a typical 11 because there's really not a, such a thing as a typical 11. I mean, every business is different, different needs. Um, it's not like a 13 where it's like, all right, every individual, like the, the, the fees are actually kind of set as like, all right, it's five or six grand. And that's just what it is. Or a chapter seven where it's a flat fee anywhere from two grand to 10 grand, maybe, right? That's kind of your range for an, for a complicated chapter seven. For a chapter 11, it's just, I mean, you know, if we're probably not going to get contacted for like if Delta had to ever file bankruptcy again, that's going to be a really, really big firm like King and Spalding or something like that. Who knows what kind of retainer they're getting? I mean, they could be getting a million dollars, a couple million bucks retainer for their, that chapter 11, you know? And that's all, and, and that's just, that's a whole nother, whole nother public company chapter 11s or a whole nother ball game, you know, like, um, a lot of our business, I mean, we could do one, but typically um, we're going to be looking at the small to medium-sized businesses in our case. And again, um, we can only get paid every 120 days unless we get special court permission. So that's why the retainers are big. That's a question we get asked a lot is, why, why are your retainers so big? I don't get it. I mean, what you know, what are you guys doing that's so special? It's, it's a lot of work. Um, these motions I'm talking about, a motion to pay your employees, motion to use cash collateral all the information it's it's not like a lawsuit where you're suing one party over one specific set of facts you're you're reorganizing an entire company's creditor body which could be i mean we have one credit we have a case we filed 2 days ago where there's 250 creditors and the service alone the service meaning your postage charges and printing charges are like $1000 every time we send something out yeah. and that and we don't we can't pay for that we got to pass it to the client so every time we mail something in that case we're we're actually doing something called limiting the service list so we don't have to do it every time but it can get the expenses can get really high too so it's not cheap to reorganize your business necessarily but look I've I got a business that I've done for total bill was 30 grand and you know it just and that was kind of a small mom and pop shop you know and pretty simple issues and great result at the end and the total bill was 30 grand but it just it varies so wildly um that it's tough to go they do have the pay court cost up front so it's like 1738 dollars is the filing fee so that's paid to our firm we put it on our firm credit card and then we reimburse ourselves immediately once the case is filed so it's pretty pretty high filing fee well, this has been a great discussion on Chapter 11 Bankruptcy. I want to thank our guest, Will Gear of Roundtree, Lightman, Klein, and Gear for joining us on this podcast. I want to thank you for listening. You can find Will at rlkglaw.com. That's rlkglaw.com. You can visit me online at brickslaw.com. That's B-R-I-C-K-S-L-A-W.com. You can also rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. All of our contact information can be found in the link below. For more details, please email me at peter at brickslaw.com.